from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Martin Luther said that, some of you may recognize, from his small catechism on that little section of the sacrament of the altar or Holy Communion. Today, that's what we're talking about, forgiveness of sins. That's what our gospel lesson is about. That's also where our Psalm 103 takes us today. As far as the east is from the west, so have I separated you from your sins. And it's also the theme of our gospel. If you look in our Old Testament, it's an, there's an example there that's wonderful between Joseph and his brothers, uh, to whom Joseph spoke so kindly. Joseph forgave his guilty brothers for selling him into slavery out of jealousy. Jealousy and forgiveness go together. Not maybe how you're thinking, but like sickness and medicine. They're not friends, really. Nevertheless, these two, jealousy and forgiveness, have a very long, long relationship with one another. Jealousy is what drove Cain to kill Abel. And these guys were the firstborn children in the very first family of the human race, as you recall. Already in that very first generation, we see the same kind of evil flaring up there that has also run rampant in every generation since, down to the present day. Just turn on the TV or read your news feed. It's those same old, age-old vices, jealousy, hatred, anger, all festering there in the dark recesses of our human hearts. For Cain, it didn't take much either to stir up the emergence of these ugly vices. Ironically, it was essentially the first worship war that led Cain to kill his younger brother Abel. Abel's sacrifice to God was chosen from the firstborn of the flocks that he kept. And this sacrifice, Genesis 4 tells us, pleased the Lord. Now, on the other hand, Cain's sacrifice of fruits and vegetables was rejected by God, or as the ESV translation puts it, quote, for Cain and his offering, God showed no regard, unquote. Well, that's all it took to make the Eden Times headline, brother kills brother in field for religious differences. Now God tells Cain, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground, for vengeance. Cain himself then cries out, my punishment is too much for me to bear. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer all my days on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. From Genesis 4. Then the Lord said to Cain, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Sevenfold. That should help us uh, uh, help out as a deterrent there. You'd think, but keep that numbering in mind, sevenfold. The reason why we have gotten into the weeds a, a bit here, talking about Cain and Abel, was just that. It seems to be Cain's descendants who take this idea of the returning vengeance seven times over and really runs with it. Meet Lamech, also from Genesis 4. It's Lamech's murderous math, if I could call it that, that serves as the backdrop for Jesus' response to Peter regarding the question of forgiveness. 
Yes, it's a backdrop by way of stark contrast. Jesus goes completely the other direction with the 77 times mentioned there in Genesis 4. Let me read a little bit of that so you can see what I'm talking about. Cain had the original, what I'm calling, sevenfold bounty hunter deterrent uh, that God mercifully granted him, whatever that sevenfold vengeance coverage looked like. Now, a half a dozen generations down from Cain, we meet this depraved go-getter, Lamech. Genesis 4.23 records his song. Lamech said to his two wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So there it is, the backdrop of the 77. He sounds like he's going to turn into, if he's not one already, an ancient monster, this Lamech. If Lamech lived in the Old West, I'm sure there would be wanted posters of him up in every post office. And something like, wanted, Lamech the outlaw, $490 reward for him uh, anywhere he's caught dead or alive. Now, we'll see what Jesus does with that 77-fold vengeance claimed by Lamech and how Jesus will turn it around a full 180 degrees to become 77-fold forgiveness. When Peter first approached Jesus about forgiving his brother, Peter most likely genuinely thought he was being quite generous by suggesting an over-the-top seven times in which he would be willing to extend to the same brother forgiveness. Considering a rabbinic tradition back then, Peter actually was indeed magnanimous by comparison. The rabbinic tradition said three times you are obliged to forgive someone who has wronged you. Just three times. Acknowledging that forgiveness had a high degree of difficulty. You know, almost like a gymnast, gymnastics event or an Olympic diver's retreat routine. You look at the um, difficulty factor involved. So a realistic rabbinical, rabbinical recommendation of that day um, was uh, manageable three times that you forgive someone. Well, that's probably about where we would like it, I think, uh, myself being honest. But for Jesus, this wasn't even in the ballpark, if I could change my sports metaphors there. Forgiveness of sins was that key to the Christian life, both receiving and giving. It was core and part of the DNA of being a Christian. Never should it be sloughed off one bit. So when Jesus tells Peter, 77 times shall you forgive your brother, he's also pointing out that you are also to extend forgiveness beyond your brother, even to your enemies. Yes, even to someone like Lamech, you must forgive. And, as Jesus puts it at the end, from the heart. Whew. Now that sounds about as difficult as paying back a king to whom you owe a trillion dollars. If earlier Peter had thought himself going over the top with an offer of forgiving his brother seven times, imagine what he's thinking now about what Jesus is saying. It's impossible. Yes, but whereas it is impossible with man, with God, all things are possible. And we will see that in action a little later with Jesus on the cross.
But first, Jesus wants to underscore the importance of forgiveness now that Peter has brought it up. So Jesus throws down one of his most challenging parables, the parable of the unforgiving servant. By this parable, Jesus is going to underscore the difference between someone just going through the motions of forgiveness versus someone going the distance with forgiveness. Jesus will show that one can even go through the motions when they are on the receiving end of forgiveness. Going the distance with forgiveness is, as Jesus put it uh, in a better way, forgiving someone from your heart. So get your accounting tools out for some fun with numbers now. We go into the parable. Because the parable's plot revolves around a couple currency, currency terms that I think most of us will be at least somewhat familiar. Talents and denarii. So let's define those so we can plug them into the forgiveness equation before us in the parable. When Jesus says a king began to settle his accounts, well, the first debtor who was brought to him owed that king 10,000 talents. Now, that's a big number. That's the big one we have to break down. One talent, okay, is the equivalent of 6,000 days of wages. That's one talent. So you... You measure that out, it's over 16 years of work. That's what one would owe the king if it were only one talent that he was in debt to. But this servant owed the king not one talent, raise yourself, 10,000 talents. Let's plug it in. One talent equals 16 years. 10,000 talents, therefore, 10,000 times the 16 years, 160,000 years. You do the math. Grand total, 160,000 years servitude, and in days, that's uh, just a small 60 million. 60 million days. With that amount of work, you best get started right away. <laughs> but wait, even if you believed in reincarnation, which of course neither Jews do, nor we as Christians, but just to run with the numbers, we're talking about some 1,600 lifetimes that you'd have to go be born, uh, birth and rebirth, and work every day of those lives from infancy forward. The repayment is clearly not happening. It's impossible. So this first debtor realized, realized that this was the case, and he quickly changed gears to beggar's mode. And he went to work prostrating himself before the king, claiming, I have a wife and children. Please have mercy on me. And then... Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, forgave him the debt. That is a ton of debt released. You know what it feels like yourselves to finally pay off that mortgage, right? Or the car payments, your school bills, you name it. It's such a sigh of relief. But this debt that the merciful king canceled, that's life-changing or at least you'd think it was. Are you wrong about that? Well, this first debtor, you can be sure, breathes indeed a big sigh of relief, but did it soften his heart any? Did he just con the king about all the mercy he needed? Well, keep watching. Act 2 is about to begin now. Remember, we talked about the difference between going through the motions and going the distance. 
That is, forgiving from the heart. Same scenario now, act two, but this time debtor one to the king becomes the lender. And he wants his, his debtor, that, let's call him debtor two, he wants debtor two to pay him back all of the money that he owed him. And the amount owed in this scenario was only 100 denarii. Now a denarius, remember, is that's only one day's wage. So 100 denarii, that's like working for the guy just over a summer season. A little, a little past that. That's doable, right? Same scenario, though. The second servant in debt, like the first guy, doesn't have the cash to pony up. So now this debtor, too, also goes into this begging routine. Same exact language, but before he can even get very deep into it, the first servant, whose insurmountable debt the king had just canceled, mind you, now he starts to choke his fellow servant right there in the middle of his spiel. The same spiel he just gave before the king, and it worked there. Well, thankfully, there were lots of ser servants around to see all of this unfold. And servants will talk. Actually, this would probably go down as the first time someone was saved by gossip. Sure enough, this report came to the king's ear, who then had the first servant summoned back once again to appear before the king. Now, if you were that first debtor who learned nothing about showing mercy and granting forgiveness, how confident are you feeling right now as you re-enter the king's presence? You wicked servant, begins the king. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? What do you say to that? I pray you and, I, you and I never have to find out. That question asked by the king is a great penetrating question. Shouldn't you have mercy as I have had mercy on you? It's also a reasonable diagnostic question that we should be asking ourselves regularly, especially as we seek to grow and mature into disciples with more and more Christ-likeness in this life for the sake of our neighbor. I believe this is what Jesus was driving at in this parable, and this is what he wants his hearers today to take to heart. It's in this wrap-up portion by Jesus. Quote, And in anger the wicked servant's master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And that's a heck of a lot of license plates he's going to have to manufacture in debtor's prison there. And then Jesus caps it off. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. I, that would be the hardest part of it, is to make it genuine from the heart. And I'd say, on the basis of what Jesus just spoke, forgiveness sounds like a pretty big deal to the Lord, both receiving it and passing it on, paying it forward. Right about this time, I don't believe Peter was thinking so confidently about himself anymore either. Maybe those seven times that he had volunteered to forgive his brother now didn't seem all too extravagant, not so overindulgent anymore in light of that parable. With this, Jesus gives us all a lot to think about. And it was the great medieval theologian, St. Anselm, who asked his own probing question for the ages in his classic work, Curdeus Homo, Why Did God Become Man? 
Anselm himself got to the heart of that question by asking yet another, have you not realized how great your sin is? On that question, one's heart hinges, as also the parable of the unforgiving servant teaches us. If you see your debt of sin as truly astronomical before heaven's throne and understand that you have no more moves left but to plead the mercy of the court, you have his consoling promise. Quote, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, from Romans 10. And even for those who don't call on him, but who mock him while he's on the cross, insult him, denounce him, even for these enemies, Jesus calls upon his Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't understand what they're doing. Abel's blood indeed cries up from the ground for vengeance. But the book of Hebrews says, the blood of Jesus cries out from the cross, a better word, forgiveness. Have you not yet realized how great your sin is? Your sin is so great that it took God himself, second person of the Holy Trinity, becoming one of us in order to pay a debt so great that we ourselves could never repay. As the hymn goes, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Anselm's other question is also answered in that little hymn I just quoted. Why did God become man? He came to pay that debt, to reconcile us with our Heavenly Father, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, turn our hearts to him in praise and to our neighbor in love and good works. And it starts with forgiveness. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Remember in his small catechism, that's what uh, Luther's conclusion to the section about the benefit of Holy Communion. That sacrifice on the cross 2,000 years ago was real and really had, it really was an acceptable offering for all our sins as vindicated by God raising Christ from the dead three days later. According to Christ's own word, in your eating and your drinking today, you are receiving these gifts by his body and by his blood given and shed for you. Now by these same gifts today, may you breathe your own sigh of relief and rest in that final word with his final breath that Jesus declared. To Tetelestai, paid in full. Amen. And then may he who began a good work in you bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.